Well, it's great to be with you. I, uh, I've had a really sweet week just reflecting on last Sunday and really just the, the whole month leading up to last Sunday where we as a church, we were able to, uh, to lock arms uh, together and uh, just do something really hard and, and really painful. Um, but it's something that I think the Bible is calling us to do. And I'm just, I'm just really proud, proud of you guys, proud of us as a church family. I'm so thankful for all of you who showed up to all those unfun member meetings and read those sad, heavy emails and um, prayed and fasted with us as we just needed God to act as only he, he could and stuff. And uh, there's this passage in Ephesians 5. Is the mic distracting? Do we need to turn that down? It feels echoey to me. No? Okay. Uh, this passage in Ephesians 5 says, uh, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And uh, I've just been thinking about that passage in light of our church because I think we, we identified, we joined with Christ in uh, uh, laying, giving ourselves up for the church. We, we gave up our preferences uh, or desires for comfort, for everything to be just, you know, peaceful, um, to be liked or approved and, and all that stuff. And, and I think we joined Jesus in his work of, of making the church more beautiful, making the church more, more pure. And um, it's it a really beautiful uh, thing that we were able to do in all this gruffiness. I just don't want us to skip over it. You know, I, Camille and I have been thinking about that uh, passage where Jesus heals 10 lepers and only one comes to say thank you. You know, that idea. And, and I don't know if your, your heart's like mine. Like when God answers a prayer, I'm just like on to the next one. You know, just like blaze pass on to the you know, the next thing that I want or need or feel excited about. And so I just wanted to kind of take a hot second and just celebrate what, um, it, what, what I think uh, was really a, a huge moment in the history of this church. It was a very old church, 1871 is what the building says. Uh, and many, many previous pastors have wanted to address some of the issues that we were uh, able, able to address the, the other week. And, um, you know, in and, and, and practicality, it was a small thing to show up and you know, mark a blank on a piece of paper and stuff like that. But my, my prayer is that God would use this simple act of obedience that we, we did to, to really break some, some strongholds that I think have been at work in this church over, over the century, you know, and a half or whatever that it's been in existence. And, and that now we can kind of enter, Lord willing, a new season uh, of following Jesus together where we're just united and we're, we're seeking, seeking hard after Jesus, seeking first the kingdom. Uh, so let me just uh, pray again, thanking God for, for that moment, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll dive into our, our sermon text here. Father, we praise you for being a, a good father who answers prayers. We thank you that you answered our prayer last week and um, the way the vote went, and we thank you that um, we were able to see you just uh, use our, our simple, meager acts of obedience to... Uh, to do your work. Father, we, we long for this church to be, um, to be beautiful, to represent to the world uh, the, the glory of the gospel and the beauty of knowing you, uh, the peace that comes from knowing you, and uh, the unity that can only, only be found uh, when we unite under King Jesus. And so uh, would you use, use our obedience to, to that end? Uh, would you convict our hearts where, uh, where we, we need to submit to you uh, and your word more fully? Uh, would you give us uh, a deeper sense of grace so that we can look at ourselves honestly without condemnation? Father, would you bless this time we've set aside to gather together to hear the word preached? Would you use it for your glory and our joy? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're jumping right back into 
the sermon series on Matthew, which is kind of a relief to me to just be like, what do I preach next? Whatever passage is next. Uh, and the, you know, the hope is that we, the, that we do this to kind of embody submission to God's word, you know? Like, I think there's space to kind of pick topics that are timely or whatever, but on the whole, we want to spend most of the time just working through a book. And Matthew, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is seeking to blow up any notion that we have that Jesus is only interested in being our Savior, that Jesus only came to die for our sins so that we can live however we want, knowing that we're going to heaven when we die. Matthew is making great, taking great pains to show us that, and we see in Scripture that the only Jesus who can save us is also the Jesus who says, you must love me more than you love your spouse or your children or your house or your, your job. He's showing us that the only Jesus who can save us is the, the only Jesus who says unapologetically that you are a fool if you don't base your whole life on my teaching and practice it. You, your life will fall apart if you don't base your life. This, this, is, what, this is what Jesus says. And I, I don't know what that sounds like to you. I feel a little bit like a meanie saying that stuff, but I'm really trying to say what Jesus tells us. And I'm pretty sure Jesus isn't trying to be mean uh, when, he, when he calls us into this reality of his lordship. That would be the, the fancy term, what he's calling us to be lord of our lives. He's our savior. He saves us from our sins, praise him. Uh, but he's also the lord of all creation with all authority given to him. And he's inviting us to flourish in that reality of his, of his lordship. Uh, so grab your Bibles and flip to uh, Matthew 7. Uh, before we get back into our, uh, our sermon text where we are, I want to just give a, a brief overview of what Matthew is doing here because it's going to frame what we talk about. We're going to look at, look at uh, the, the overview, and then I'm just going to ask one question from our sermon text, and then, and then we'll be done. Matthew 7, uh, verse 28, is right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the, the biggest, the most like holistic teachings of Scripture we have in one place, and uh, Matthew gives us the response to this teaching. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So his teaching has incredible authority uh, because he taught uh, without a bibliography. He taught without like referencing smarter or wiser or older people. Uh, he taught self-referentially. That's not a word. He, he referenced himself. He was the authority uh, in this teaching, and people are stunned by it. And then the next two patterns, in the next two chapters in Matthew follow a pattern that's really, really powerful. The pattern goes like this. You have three stories of miracles, and then you have uh, a call of Jesus to follow him. And then you have three more miracles showing Jesus' authority over all kinds of stuff, and then a call to follow him and then three more miracles. So if you look uh, just at the, head, head, um, the heading, headings, section headings, that's what I'm trying to say, uh, in ch starting in chapter 8, we see Jesus uh, heal a man with leprosy, showing his authority over disease. And then we see Jesus uh, healing um, a paralyzed servant uh, with the faith of the centurion. And then he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then we get to the first call, where he calls a wealthy, established man to leave the comforts of society because foxes uh, and 
birds are more comfortable than many of Jesus' followers are. And he sees, leave your family, leave the dead to bury his dead. And then the pattern repeats, look at the headings. Jesus speaks a word and calms the raging seas, and then he shows his power over spiritual forces of evil when he casts out uh, demons. And then he heals uh, a paralytic, but maybe most importantly, he, he shows he has authority to forgive sins and heal the paralytic. And then we get to where we are today in the calling of Matthew. It's a call to follow, follow Jesus. Matthew is making a really clear point. He's here to point out Jesus' authority. Like when we go, we've you know, had a series where Jesus has authority over disease. Jesus has authority over forgiveness. Jesus has authority over nature. All of those realms of Jesus' authority are all meant to give us a single point. Is that... Jesus has authority to call us to follow him. The same man who can calm a raging sea out of a stone-cold sleep with a single word says to you and me, follow me. The only way to experience the power of Jesus' grace is by following him and becoming a disciple of him. There's no grace, there's no good life with God apart from following Jesus. And in his own words, he gives us this image of building the, the entire house of our life on his teaching, on his way of life, putting it into practice. And now this is a very absolute call, like the same one who, as our liturgy so beautifully pointed out to us, like created everything. Through him, everything was created that was created uh, is calling us to himself to, to follow him. And this is good news. If, like me, you aren't where you want to be in life, if there's things in your life that are less than you hoped they would be or you, you aren't happy with how things are going right now, there's a expression in the, in the business world, which I'm not really in the business world, but I've heard this expression, uh, is that you're, you're getting the exact results that your system is set up to produce. The system that your business is running on is, is perfectly set up to produce the results that you're getting. So as a business, you're not happy with your profit margin or your employee turnover, whatever it is, then the answer is to consider the system. Consider the system if you want different results. And that's the good news of what Jesus is saying to us today. If you're not happy with the results of, your, of the current system of your life is producing, the good news is that Jesus is tenderly calling us to build the system of our life on him and follow him. So if you've, you know, been at Christianity for a while and just it just feels like a slog fest, like just not a lot of power, not a lot of victory over sin, just constant stress about money and anxiety and kids and just if if no one around you seems to have any interest in spiritual things coming to know Jesus, relationships just seem to always break apart then the good news is that Jesus offers us a different way to live but if you're happy with your life if you feel like you're kind of crushing it or you're, you're on top of it then I just want to like up front say like you're probably not going to like Jesus this is, this is a, Jeff did a great job uh, pre preaching on this text a few weeks ago uh, unpacking how Jesus came for the sick, for the sinners, for the messed up, for the outcasts, for the, for the ones that 
had no more cards to play. They didn't, they didn't have anything to offer of themselves. Whereas the winners of his day, the Pharisees, were always criticizing Jesus, always heckling him and picking fights and trying to trap him and ultimately killed him. The people who had a system, they had a system down pat, and they were happy with the rules of their system because they were in control and they were rich and they were respected by people. They had what they wanted. And they're the ones that don't like Jesus, but it's the, the, the down and out who are drawn to him, the poor in spirit who are drawn to him. And so if you feel messed up, if you feel like you're just not really sure what the next step is, feel a little bit frazzled and drained, if just the idea of self-help just kind of makes you sick to your stomach because you're like, myself got me into this, how is myself going to get me out of it? Then Jesus is, can be the best news that we've, that we've ever heard. And so the one question I want us to look at today as we look at the account of Matthew being called is just to put the question to us, have you been called to follow Jesus? And this might seem like redundant or you're like I'm in church, of course, or whatever, but sometimes, and this is just kind of horrifying and scary to me, is that we can miss Jesus as he is in Scripture by doing a bunch of churchy things. We live in a day and age where there's just a big Christian culture and there's church culture and there's all kinds of theological nuances and stuff. And we can kind of miss Jesus. He even says that to those winners of the day. He's like, you search the scriptures in vain because you think they give you life, but it's they who point to me. The people who were all about the Bible were missing Jesus, even as they were all about the Bible. And this is a big part of my story because I'm a church kid. I grew up in church and great attendance, led in the youth group and mission trips, and learned to play the guitar to serve God slash try to find a wife, um, and it didn't work. I mean, I found a wife, but it was, the guitar didn't help me at all. That's a youth group joke. Uh, but for years, uh, Jesus weirded me out. You know, I did, like, my, my regular, you know, Bible reading, but when I got to the Gospels, man, I got, I got really uncomfortable because he just seemed so intense and difficult and offensive. But like, like he wouldn't really fit in in my church. Like if he came to church and just started like saying this stuff, I'm like, you're gonna make everybody mad. Like what? Like what are you doing? And and I made a lot of people mad in church. You might might guess. And so I was like, how come Jesus is saying this? And he did it better than me. So it was way easier to read Psalms or, you know, read read Paul's epistles because they're. I mean, it's all great, but you know, there's a, a little less indirect. Paul's epistles are real theological and linear and arguments and stuff and. But then by God's grace, I, I started to face Jesus himself and just like everything changed. Like everything just kind of came alive. And my whole life, just the, it, everything kind of changed because what I saw as I, when I faced the person of Jesus is that I had been using Jesus and using like the church and just kind of Christianity-ish in general to build my own kingdom. Like I, I was trying to build my own world I was living life that seemed right to me in the system that I liked and I was church was just helpful you know like I wanted people to think I was respectable so I was going to be a doctor and do mission work and everybody would think I was respectable so I'm just using like Christian stuff to build my kingdom of people liking me or, or respecting me and so my prayer this morning is that just with lots of grace for ourselves knowing that as Jesus said the truth will set us free you know like the truth hurts sometimes but seeing it just being aware of it is is how we experience freedom that we could just consider this question like how have I been called to follow Jesus because of course it'd be easy to assume that we all have but 
you know, you know what happens when you assume. It makes a, you know, a donkey out of all of us. So, uh, jokes aside, I have two things for us to consider to, to answer this question is how we've been called to follow Jesus. The first one is you know you've been called to follow Jesus when you face the person of Jesus. Look at verse 9 in our sermon text. Flip over to Matthew 9, verse 9 in our sermon text. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus sees Matthew and says, follow me. He doesn't say, follow this. He doesn't say, follow that. He doesn't say, follow these rules. He doesn't say, believe these specific things. He says, follow me. He points to himself. To be a Christian means to be called to Christ, to the man, Jesus of Nazareth. It's not ultimately a list of ideas or a list of doctrines or a denomination or a type of preaching. It's a man, and his name's Jesus of Nazareth, and he's the king of kings. When we truly face Jesus, I think we start to see just how intense he is. Like It's, it's not a poor reading of scripture to see that Jesus is, is kind of all-consuming. And to some degree, I think, I don't know if we can be honest about this, but like, he seems kind of self-centered. He kind of seems really all about himself. Because just, I mean, imagine anyone else saying what he says in Matthew 10. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. We have a lot of people who just had kids. And Jesus says, whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Like, really, Jesus? You want me to love you more than Camille, more than Johnny? You want me to take up my, my torture device, my device of execution and shame and follow you? quite a sales pitch and what he's saying like you're not you're not worthy of me he's saying like if you don't love me more than these things then like we can't hang out like we're not on the same team it's not like there's the people who love me more than these things and then there's like jv who might get there someday like it's it's all or nothing that jesus is putting before us he tells a rich young ruler if you want eternal life sell everything you have and follow me he tells a guy who's on board. He tells a guy who's like, I want to follow you wherever you go. And he's like, it's going to be really hard and uncomfortable. And like all this like comfort and prestige that you experience now is not going to be there. Jesus is the most unseeker-friendly teacher ever to walk the earth. And so we, have to, we just have to come face-to-face with these things that he actually said that God in his word has given us and, and decide who he is. Because... If he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, if he is the Almighty, the firstborn of all creation, judge of everything, then what would be the logical response to him? It would be to simply say okay and build our life on him. If he says leave your father and mother, we would say okay. If he says leave your job, like he does to Matthew in this text, we would say, okay, you're the, you're the king. If he says, tear out your eye, we would say, which one? If he says, cut off your hand, we would be like, how far up? Because if he is the king of kings, 
judge of all creation, then logically it would be better to spend the next 10 to 50 years, however long we have on the earth with only one eye or one hand, than to be on the opposing team of the king of the universe. We know we've been called when we've really faced just the the radical self-centeredness of Jesus. But of course, it's not bad for Jesus to be self-centered because he's the only self who truly is at the center of everything. I really want us to see this because it's not just Jesus saying it. The rest of the Bible testifies to it. Flip over to Colossians 1. This is a beautiful doxology the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, or Colossians, sorry. Look at Colossians 1, verse 15, 1832 in the Pew Bible. He is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. That he may have the supremacy, be preeminent in all things. Jesus is the first issue in Christianity. All other issues are in many ways just just minutia. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York City. He says it like this. Over the years in New York, I've had a number of people say, what's the Christian view of homosexuality? What they're saying is, I'm interested in Christianity, but I want to know what you think the Bible teaches or what your church teaches about homosexuality. In all due respect, who cares? First, you have to ask yourself, is Jesus who he said he is? If he is who he said he is, then he is the authority. Then then secondly, you can figure out what he teaches about these issues. Do you realize how ridiculous it is to say, I want to know whether I like your view of the issues. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Is he the creator? Is he the judge? You have to work on that first. Once you settle the question of authority, then you can ask these other questions. When Jesus comes to us and calls us to follow him, this is the question that he's putting before us. Who has the authority? Because we might say, yeah, I'm a Christian, or uh, I want to be a Jesus follower, but you know, all this stuff about loving other people, uh, you know, I'm an introvert. It's just exhausting. Or like this money stuff goes against everything I've ever thought or believed about money. Or like loving, caring about the poor or the widows or the orphans, like to the point where like I'm inconvenienced, like my life changes and I like lose out on stuff because of how I'm loving my neighbor. 
the way the Good Samaritan teaches us, like inconvenienced. That stuff is just too intense. But if Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the judge of all creation, then what's the logical response to these, to these things, to everything? And listen, we can be honest. This is the beauty of following Jesus, is that we can come with our doubt and our incomplete understanding of stuff and our all kinds of stuff. Because we can, and we can be honest with the fact that, like, right now I just would rather chill on the beach with people who are like me, who understand me and read the same books as me. I'd rather just, you know, honestly be alone with a pie and some Netflix. But so what if for the next 10 to 15 years I miss out on these just pleasures and enjoyments of, of the world if I get to know Jesus forever, if I get to rule and reign with the king of the universe forever because he is the king. The second way that you could, you could know that you've been called to follow Jesus is when you get up and follow him. Matthew is just sitting there in his tax booth doing his job, taking in money, writing it down in the ledger. It says that Jesus uh, was probably near water, so Matthew probably would have had a pretty cool little tax booth right by the lake and just you know taking in money from the merchants that were shipping things all over the water, just doing his thing. And Jesus says, follow me. And what I think is so beautiful is that Matthew, as he's telling us this story, as he's writing it down, he doesn't record himself saying anything. He arose and followed him. But in all fairness, I think it is uh, it would be, you know, a little inexplicable if uh, this was, like, all we had. You know, it was just, like, just this one instance is, like, Matthew's beginning of discipleship. But most commentators say that when Jesus called his disciples, uh, they, they would have had some familiarity with him and his teaching and his, and his actions. Because, you know, it's a small world back then, word travels and all like that. My point is that it's, most commentators say it would be unlikely that Jesus was just like a stone-cold stranger to his disciples when he says, follow me, and, they, and they, just get, they just get up and follow him. But if that was true for them back then, how much more true is it for us now? Like, how much more true is, it, is that we have uh, exposure to, the, to so much more of who Jesus is and what he did and what he's about and what his nature is like through the word than even his disciples did back then? We had the luxury, the mercy of God to, to know lots about Jesus before we consider this call to love him more than our mom or our children. We can evaluate, is he good? Is he who he said he is? Is he after my good? Does he, does he want my good? But how, but how, how do we know? Like what, what would be some of the things scripture shows us to point to his goodness? We'll flip over in scripture to Romans 5. Look at a few verses here. That shows the incredible depth of, of God's love for us in Christ. Starting in verse 8. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates 
his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. While we were still sinners is when Christ moved towards us in love. While we were sitting in our tax booth, getting rich, oppressing our countrymen, and supporting an oppressive army is when Jesus comes to us in love, inviting us into life with him. He went to the cross perfect and spotless and sinless, as the Son of God preeminent above everything, the judge of all creation was judged for our sin, all our hostility towards God, all the times we take his stuff to try to build our own kingdoms like I've done in the past. And then he comes to us in nothing but love and goodwill and says, follow me. We have the incredible gift of being able to see Jesus crushed on the cross for our sin, for our apathy, for our lust, for our greed, for our anxiety, for our long, our long history of neglecting what we should do and doing what we shouldn't do, for loving ourselves, for trying to be the center ourselves when Jesus is the center. And while we know that he might not be safe, we know that he might call us from all these things that we love, but we can also know that he's good and that he, that he loves us. He lost his life for us, so now we can pick up our cross and follow him, lose our lives for him. Because it's seeing Jesus on the cross strung out for our sin, for our mess, that makes this call to love him more than our spouse or children or families or houses or career or a comfort, make total sense. Because do any of those things love you like Jesus? Do, do, do any of our careers like really satisfy that like desire for meaning in our lives, as great as jobs can be? Does your spouse really complete you enough where you don't feel insecure or rejected anymore? Is your house and Netflix like enough comfort to give true rest to your soul? But Jesus is enough for all that. And so we follow him. We look at what he says and we say, okay, this is terrifying, but okay. What do we do with this? What, what would be a next step? In my church background, any time the, the teaching was about, you know, have you been called? You know, it was like, I'm going to bring in a missionary to guilt you into being a missionary or something like that. It was like, if you're called, then you would become a missionary or do vocational ministry or something like that. But look what, flip back to our sermon text, look what Matthew does. Jesus says, follow me. Look what Matthew does in verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Matthew gets up and has Jesus and his disciples over for dinner. He just throws a party and just has Jesus and his followers over to his house to eat a meal together. 
The call to follow Jesus, while there's just enough for us to play with and explore for decades to come, starts with just spending time with Jesus and his people. Spending time with Jesus and his disciples. This is hugely ordinary. This is not a special calling. Because maybe some of us will be called by God to be missionaries. I hope that happens. I hope God raises up people called to be pastor elders here uh, in our church family. But the call to follow Jesus is to be with him, to take his yoke upon you, to find rest for your souls and learn from him because he's gentle. And then to spend time with other disciples who are seeking to do the same thing. Other Jesus followers who are his body. Like one of the reasons we spend time with Jesus is we spend time with the church body because that's what the Bible says is Jesus' body. This is very ordinary and it's for all of us who desire, desire to follow Jesus. It doesn't require prayer and fasting to decide, well, I want to follow Jesus, but should I spend time with him and his disciples? We don't need to ask that question because it's just, if you want it, it's right there. Normal life done with Jesus and his, and, and his people. And so I just wonder where you might be at. I wonder if there's a few different types of people here. Maybe some of us have been in church for years, been leadership roles in the church, but it was kind of a, a church culture, maybe not as centered around following Jesus, but kind of more around some uh, agreeing with a set of ideas or something like that. And so our lives just really don't look that different than a lot of our neighbors that don't follow Jesus. Because like me, it's you, we can fall into avoiding Jesus by doing Jesus-y things, playing games with, with doctrine and types of churches and all these different nuances. Or maybe others of us, we just feel so overwhelmed by life, like we're just barely clawing through each day. Everything feels disoriented. The future version of ourself will finally have it together to where I can, I can follow Jesus. Like someday, future Josh will be able to put it together to follow Jesus. But it could be that God is seeking to show us that, that when we are weak, he is strong. The part of following Jesus is just to show up in our brokenness, to, to, to leave the tax booth, or like we talked about last week, to leave the pig slops where we're just like going to this stuff that doesn't satisfy on our own, to leave that sense that we, we are orphans, that we have to figure it out ourselves. Like, yes, I need to be a mom, and I need to be a wife, and I need to be a student, and I need to be a husband. I need to do all these things, and I need to be a Christian. I need to figure out how to do it all by myself. But that's actually rejecting Jesus' call to himself because his call is not based on who we are, where we're at, or how healthy we are, or how stable our life is. We just, we just show up. We just like get up and just go to him and spend time with him. And lastly, some of us might not have that much church background, and, but maybe your system isn't working, and so you're, you're just exploring systems. You're looking for a system that works. And, and, and my prayer is that you would consider the system of Jesus of Nazareth. He's a man. He has a way of life, and he comes to you and says, I, I see your brokenness. I see your system not working. Repent, turn from it, and come to me, because I'm the truth and the way and the life. Friends, the next step, I think, is really that simple. Just to believe, if you can get to the point where you say, I believe that Jesus is the one who really is in charge and that he's good and trustworthy. That's kind of like the, the entry point to, to discipleship. 
He's the one in charge. He's the one in charge, and I trust him, and, I'm, and I want to follow him. And then just jump in, spend time with Jesus and his people. So tomorrow is a new month, and I um, counseled with uh, the vice president of corporate scripture reading, Zach Carter. Uh, really big about titles around here. And, uh, uh, and again, corporate scripture reading is just where we do something together. It's not like sponsored by you know, ExxonMobil or something. Um, and so tomorrow, the new month, uh, and Zach had the idea of reading uh, Mark, the Gospel of Mark, uh, twice in the month, because there's only 16 chapters. And so just read tomorrow, read Mark 1, and go, go all the way through it. He'll send out more instructions this week. Uh, but the, the invitation is just to open God's word and say, like, I want to see Jesus of Nazareth. I want to know who Jesus is. Uh, and then just read. Get a pen and paper nearby and mark stuff that seems weird or crazy. Uh, you don't even have to be sure you want to follow him at this point. You could just be curious and let Jesus testify to himself. But this is the mercy of our good God that we can get to know Jesus of Nazareth as he is in Scripture. And then spend time with his people. And the next step might be just to prioritize the gathering on Sunday morning and spend time uh, with people here. Um, or it might be to actually you know, reach out to a brother or sister, someone in the church family that you don't know that well and just get to know their story or ask questions about what they're, what they're learning, what their church background is, how they're feeling towards Jesus. And, but just not a call to some kind of radical like, leap of faith that someone will like, write a book about someday. It's a call to just really ordinary courage of just doing the next thing of showing up to Jesus and his people and praying that by the power of the Spirit, he makes us new. Let me pray.